Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 36, recorded on March 8th, 2022. And this is part two of a roundtable featuring some very smart people who know a lot about smart buildings, smart communities, and smart cities. Locomobile World CEO Grant Furlane again leads us through the discussion. Fascinating stuff. Okay, so so I want to open the floor now, and I want everyone obviously to be respectable of the person talking, but to jump in where they feel they want to jump in. But um, I think that um, technology changes like that happen so quickly are challenging. Uh, I think when you get uh, thrown at um, Carter, you said you're, it's amazing because in the very beginning you said, well, the longer rides, we're going to need hydrogen batteries. So we know hydrogen is going to be a play. How do we know? We don't know how big, but I hear it. In fact, now we have uh, Kia and others coming out of the hydrogen cars. I don't know. I really don't know how good they are and all that. But um, does that change in what you have to offer? I mean, for us, we're, we're focused on providing your day-to-day charging. Okay. Right? We're not really focused on when you need to travel longer distances. Because I think the longer distance stuff is mostly about speed. And getting charging at home or at work is mostly about convenience. Oh, you're talking the smart city. Yeah, exactly. So in the smart city world, it doesn't have an impact like it will on the... the Unless, of course, some kinds of hydrogen battery that's cheap and works for both. Yeah, potentially. I, I think the hydrogen stuff is really, you know, for just large vehicles that consume crazy amounts of power. Um, it just becomes inefficient when you have to carry these humongous batteries, electric batteries, and you're towing them at the same time. You know, so that's why hydrogen has been kind of, people have focused it on large, heavy-duty vehicles for transport. Okay. Yeah, and airplanes as well. Because the thing about it is, you know, the reason why Tesla hasn't even thought about making an aircraft is because the amount of batteries you need to put into aircraft. But they're doing it. I mean, yeah, they're, they're still, doing it. They're, they're, they're looking at it. They're looking at it. But I think at least in the near term, hydrogen planes are probably be closer to reality than uh, battery electric. Planes. And it's funny because, you know, the first company to come up with hydrogen makes batteries is based in Vancouver. And I invested in it when it started. And they didn't do anything. No one believed that they could do anything, right? And they're still hovering around and trying to do it. But, um, you know, we look at Bill Gates, who's invested in, of course, solid-state batteries with QuantumScape. And, of course, it hasn't done anything. They've invested billions, and they want to be the first cheap battery production of solid-state. I don't know what's going to happen. So uh, you sit back, and, and you try to figure out how you adapt your technology. The other thing, you know, as we're focusing in on smart cities, and moving in, in the city, you know, about 80 or 90% of the trips in cities happen within a 10 kilometer radius. So with batteries, we're talking about range and, and how fast you can charge them, right? Okay. But if, but if every building has chargers built in and your devices are all charging when you're sleeping and you're only traveling 10 kilometers anyway. You don't need anything more. You don't need anything more. And that's mobility in its finest sense. So let's, t- since you, you're yapping now about mobility, um, I think it's the biggest part. And I don't know if it's going to get suburbia or not. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute because, Ted, you probably get asked about it when you do the suburban ones out in the, uh, about mobility. Um, but 
so let's talk about mobility. Um, the the um, there was this this big big uh, phase where it was all about scooters. It was scooters everywhere, and of course now they're saying no. I don't want them on the sidewalks. I don't want them on that thing. Um, and are we going to have the same type of uh, concerns about all mobility? How do we control it? We don't know who's in it. Tell me where you see the regulation of mobility. And do you face it, actually, any regulation? Well, not really. So the approach, okay. the approach we took was, um, you know, instead of to have it uh, decentralized, so scooters and bikes everywhere in the city, blocking sidewalks or, Correct. or what. Yeah. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're organized, as the city bike program is, in, in, in a nice fashion. That's way, the way to go. But for us, we said, Let's centralize it. Let's bring it into the, the private domain. So the city regulations don't apply to us in that, in that sense because all of our trips are coming back into the building. They're docked. They're charging. They're organized. They're not out on the city streets. But, you know, with scooters in Toronto, for example, they're not allowed right now, right? So, but, but bikes are and e-bikes are and obviously electric cars are. And so... Um, Cities progress at different levels, and, and certain cities are slower, certain c- cities are faster. And so we'll, we'll just keep pace with, with the city, and we'll try and influence what makes sense to move people safely and efficiently. So if it's not scooters right now, then, then e-bikes make sense. If it's not robots now in one city, it's robots in another city, and cars will always be there. And yeah. it's, it's trying to convert some of the car trips and your big SUV into, into smaller micromobility trips, so you're decongesting the city streets. I wonder how many people know that scooters are outlawed in Toronto. I don't think they know. I don't think the average person knows. Um, we know because we talk about it all the time. But um, so so they'll come and go. And I remember when scooters were nothing, as were Vespras, as we were talking one day. Um, so they become a big hit now. So on the mobility side, I'm a little, uh, so there's no regulation. So when you go to a developer, it's simply putting in the necessary requirements and often you're running and getting in out of the garage or the lot or the building. If you're doing mobility inside the building um, and you fight no regulations other than um, the normal things that has to work and be safe. Yeah. And, and in fact, we're, we're helping the developers meet their mandate, city mandates on sustainability. Oh, I'm sorry. Tell me about that. So, uh, you know, we, we, we spoke about the, the parking ratio requirements, Vancouver, 100 percent, Toronto, 20 to 25 percent. Every city is a little bit different. But. The fact is, as we progress in time, the cities are going to get more and more stringent on businesses in general, including developers, to meet their mandates, net zero mandates, absolute zero mandates, essentially to take carbon out of the air. So they have mandates. And by adding all these, they get points. Am I correct? Is it like, tell me what you mean. Yeah, you, you could get points or, or I think of it as more check marks. So if, well, you, same thing. if, you, want, marks. if yep. you want an approval to get a new building, you're going to have to meet certain criteria, and 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 one of them certainly is uh, smart buildings, smart mobility, reducing carbon, reducing congestion, greenhouse, all that stuff, all right? that kind of stuff. So I think collectively as a group here, we're checking a lot of those boxes. So okay, so so Brian, um, so we've got all these units going in and out of garages, um, and so how are you making the um, the experience better for the developer and better for the smart building? That's part of that transformation that we talked earlier. It's uh, developers are coming to us to actually uh, 
help them design and let's say meet their goals of reduced parking spaces, but optimizing them as well. So the whole dynamic, the, the whole ability to be flexible, uh, it really does start in that infrastructure level. So as an infrastructure and solutions, that's one thing I'm common thread of all, all of us at this table, we're providing solutions. We're not a widget player. So if something changes in batteries, or the technology in our world, I'm, I'm, I'm striving to, I'm delayed by the technologies. The technologies could, could throttle us even further and we provide even greater service if the practica, practical uh, solutions out there today were improved. So uh, that's a key point. So we are literally uh, assisting developers at the pre-planning stage and permit stage and everything else of actually being able to, as they say, stick to plan A, which is reduce parking, but more importantly, with all these partners at this table, provide optimal convenience to their tenants. And more importantly, having it all streamlined under one, driving to, as they say, driving to the zero maintenance fee. So driving to a lower cost, more streamlined, providing greater service and more security. Yeah, security is huge. Um, I think that uh, I've been watching it because of the pandemic, I guess. But all of a sudden, I see so much security is important in everything we're doing here. So um, the, how do you give that? So, so what is the, uh, what are the pain points with a developer? I mean, a lot of people think when you live in a multi-dwelling unit that it's secure. And um, in my previous life, I actually sat in on these um, customer focus groups and hear stories of people coming out and cleaning out someone's unit in the middle of the con in the middle of a condo, just cleaning someone's unit out. Nobody caring, nobody knowing. Hey, someone's moving out, right? So, or I mean, the most another dramatic one in one of the properties we're in was, and somebody thinks that it doesn't matter. Okay, oh, it's a condo, it's secure. It's you know the gates are covered and controlled and. Someone actually put a plastic reader on top of the actual card reader to read the credentials coming in the buildings so that they could spoof their own credentials to come in. So no one, I was actually shocked by that because you think about how much effort is that for you to create this device, put it in there, risk getting caught so that you can read people's credentials, that you can copy them and you can gain access later. So security is absolutely huge. I mean, like, and again, this comes down to this, this same thing is like, what are we doing? We're putting technology in to solve the problems we face. Security, sustainability, right? Care for people, convenience. We're trying to solve these problems. And actually, I don't want to take the thing, but the one piece, and I'd love to hear even and Carter on this, is the energy issue. Like the big thing about this is, is, you know, gas has incredible density of energy. That's why it's good. So if you now take out gas and all of a sudden you're now using our infrastructure to go in you know, load up all these cars. Well, where's the, where's it coming from? Right. There's, you know, it's, there's not going to be enough. There's going to be issues. You know, there is, you hear all this thing. Oh, we want more and more. No, no, you need a, the whole infrastructure is not there. Yeah, I mean, and, the and how are we going to deal with that? Well, a lot of what we're doing and I'm not going to, I all it, you know, Carter. Um, Step in where he wants. Yeah. Up. Cause that's, that's the part I know one of the things, but that is an issue that no one speaks about in California. They're already hitting it. One good thing about traveling to different areas. And then when it comes to that, it's like, we start to think about load hitting shedding. A power grid. Yeah. Like and load shedding. Yeah, so just take load shedding. shedding. Yeah, yeah, well, if yeah. I got a network in a building, we can shed load. No problem in the future when we need to, but I'd like to hear Carter talk a little bit just about this energy issue. Cause is there going to be enough power for 50% EV penetration or 100%, where's the power coming from? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely a big concern for for many, many sectors, particularly the utilities, because they're the ones who has to take care of it at the end of the day. Um, I think the big thing about EVs is, you know, it's not just in, right? It can be also out because they're batteries, right? They're giant batteries. Um, And that usage of batteries is really, really flexible. And, you know, this is something that, you know, Scott with Kite and and we're working on right now in terms of, you know, we have all these electrified transportation devices that all have batteries inside and they're not being used all the time. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, they said the average car spends about 95% just parked. Right. So now you have this huge potential of sharing energy, sharing energy. Exactly. You know, and, you know, you have things that you know, you can get energy from like solar panels and wind and things that never had anything to store that energy with. And all of a sudden you have this huge influx of batteries that you've never seen before. That are fully charged and can share while they're sitting there. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it is it is a little daunting to think about how every gas vehicle is going to now be sucking in energy. But it's also, if you think about the fact that they're parked for 95% of the time, there's also this huge potential to discharge energy as well, to be used by other things. Yeah. And Carter's absolutely right. And, 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 you know, the other thing to contemplate here is that typically the peak energy demand happens over maybe an hour, over a 24-hour period, typically in the summer when all the AC is running. That's the most expensive peak energy point, one hour out of 24 hours. So if we can take a fleet of bi-directional cars and take the energy from the batteries. Save it all for that hour. Deliver it back during the hour, t- turn them off so people can't use them during that hour, but deliver it back to the building. Well, that's a far more efficient approach. But I don't think anyone knows that. Not yet. And Come to on, do I that, mean, you need networks and control systems. That's why if you don't have a network, you can't do this. So put a network. I actually stand up in front of people. No more dumb buildings. And I think that's this fundamental that we need to get. And a dumb build and a smart building has a network. Every building needs a good network strategy. Then we'll worry about all the other pieces. How do you do legacy? You can. There's actually interesting technologies that have come out that can deliver reliable networks using legacy cabling systems. Now, if you pose a, humans are pretty resilient. Like they're getting gigabit networks running on category three cable or gigabit networks running on RG6, conventional. So what you'll see now is a telco will come into a building, pull fiber or new fiber in for access. Um, We can use all that legacy wiring and create networks. There's always ways to do this and it'll happen. I think what's got to happen is the new buildings have to come out do cool things like smart EV charging, car shares, automated plate reading and automated package systems. And everyone's going to say, I want this everywhere. And then we're going to start to see this moving backwards. And there's ways to do it. It's not it's anything can be done. And it's, you know, human beings are good at being resilient, being creative and finding ways to make things happen. But, you know, so so I look at that and I'm thinking, so, Brian, and, and everyone, really. But I'm, I'm looking at, so we have captured these people via the applications when they become part of a community or a building. Um, now they're going to do things. They're going to, everyone always says, oh, I don't want, I don't want to have all this because I want it to be a friendly, uh, I want people to be happy. But what's more happier than being secure? What's more happy than knowing I'm going to hack into the network? What's more happy knowing my car's not going to be stolen or my house being broken into? But for some reason, some people don't understand that. That is happiness because now I can go feel good about every day, not worry about anything. And so I've 
I've sat with developers saying, oh, no, we're going to do an eco-friendly community where we don't need all that. Really? They won't be too happy in the end. That's my feeling. But, Brian, so how do you take a person driving around and make them happier? Because um, now we have them leaving their facility. They walk. They get in their car. What are we doing? How are we making things better for people as they move around? As we know, it's uh, and, and let's, let's not be uh, – Gender, uh, gender and or age bias, right? So uh, look at the generations before us, uh, sorry, uh, uh, coming. Um, they want everything at the fingertips. So uh, I don't, I just don't, I want the same expectation. So I want instant uh, gratification and I want everything to be equal. Meaning, accessible, right? Accessible, equal meaning. So if I'm getting all this greatness at my home, quote unquote, home or business, which is now within that 10 mile radius of community. Um, I also should have that in, in every aspect of my life. So I want to be able to conveniently find parking. I want to actually be able to be uh, uh, provided directions and or information that can allow me to make better choices for everything in, in life. So that could be from eating, restaurants, to commuting, to everything else. So as I always say over here at Local Mobile World, we move vehicles people and data, it really is those three things. Because without one of them, uh, i.e. doing all this smart, but the people still can't move around in an effective and efficient way, we're still going to get congestion. Oh, listen, I want to drive on a parking lot. I want to drive through a drive-thru, and I don't want to touch anything. I want everything to be automated when I drive around. But that's great. We're driving around. But I know when when you open up a new, new smart building, Ted, you are giving so many different services to people. And you're going to put it under all one application, which totally makes sense. We will not survive, all of us, or any group, this power group or another group, without one associated application that makes it easy. So, Ted, how do you take all these applications, bend them under, because we do, we actually do this. So it's not something that, but I, I think you need to explain to people. The process of doing that is not easy, but now that you've done it, how do you make that application usable? How do you decide how it should operate and be friendly to people? The key in what you said was actually, it's a very hard problem and it took a lot of technology guys quite, and you know, that's a funny, and I'm starting to diverge. Okay. So I wrote a lot of software and now I look at what these guys are doing and it's like, I haven't a clue anymore. And it's actually almost embarrassing. And I kind of look back to the CTO and I go, you know, I wrote a lot of software in my day. It's your turn. Um, and then they talked about the struggle of building what you just said. So when someone goes into the community, it could have X package system or Y package system or X access control system and it'll automatically Food delivery, all anything, kinds of anything stuff. you want, health services and the app EV, dynamically. Mobility. Yeah, it'll dynamically construct itself to be everything that you assign to that community. And it, that's just, it's just a heavy lift. And there's a lot, I don't want to get too technical for this podcast. We don't want to get like, technical. But yes, but there's a lot to being done to make that go. So as soon as a community launches and it has all these different pieces, it dynamically assembles itself based on what's supposed to be there. Right. And I think that's that fundamental. And that's just as the network was important, allows us to connect different devices, sensors and actuators, and allows us to physically connect hard components 
the software now needs to also be of that similar vein of being open and able to flexibly connect multiple solutions and become a platform to deliver more and more services and dynamically construct itself. And then once you do that, then you can start to create this app that's actually sticky and usable and can add more things and you can adjust it. It's just a lot of work to get there. But the, the fun part is it's there now, actually, and it's working. We can walk into this community that's using these five things. This is using those three things and it'll automatically set itself up. Well, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to play the, uh, the, the next stage. So I got on my car and I rented this car from kite and I charged it with switch. I went down the road and it ran out of gas. Now I'm on this network. Who am I talking to? How does that work? What, what part of it is in this smart system that we all do? How do I, how do I interact? That's actually simple. It's already built in, right? Like you want to book a party room because people are coming over. You can connect with a person managing the community. Something goes wrong with your car. You can just push a button and you're going to communicate with your community. Everything's tied together. And that's the reason it gets used, right? That's the beauty of this. Like you said, you, no one's going to go into five different apps. Nobody wants to. I'm, I'm you know, out. Yeah. Nobody, out. You know, are they going to download Locomobi, Switch, no, and, no. and um, Kite and everything, and then all the other ones. No, you're not going to do that. And it's not going to be the experience that people want. There's still a lot of work to do. There's still, now that it's out there, the, the, the key is to actually tune it so it's so usable and people love doing it and it's just easy to use. And that's now where we're at with it. Everything works. Let's just make it super usable and, and really inviting because there's still a lot of people. Like one thing that you had said earlier in this was like, you know, what about these people who resist? What about security? And, and the one thing I find is like there's still so many people are resisting this change. And the way they'll do it is go, ha ha, what about security? And I'm like, well, what about security? Does that mean you don't innovate because you're worried about security? The people who are saying those things are the people who are just trying to stop innovation. And we can't do that. How, how many people, how many people that you talked to three years ago that said, ah, forget this, you know, I'm just going to build this thing. And, but now are in the stage of building have come back to you and said, you know what? I want to do this. How many have done that? How many clients have you had? or customers or people that said, nah, I think we'll pass on that. But all of a sudden, the conversations are happening. I mean, for us at Kite, I, I think Ted and Locomobi kind of paved the way for us, thankfully, and, and to a certain extent, Switch. So uh, we, we didn't experience that at this stage. It's open up the floodgates. Everyone wants it. But I, you know, I, I thank the predecessors for, for kind of getting us there. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think about the conversations we had in 2017 with the real estate developers. You know, um, yeah, they're, you know, I would say the majority of groups were not, you know, entirely convinced that electrification of transportation was a thing. And, you know, I don't, I don't really blame them. You know, there have been a lot of things that were going to be a thing that never panned out. Right. And there was a lot of resistance. I mean, I remember, you know, when Model 3 came out and like, how are they going to build more than 50,000 units? Right. And now they're making a million, you know, a year. So, I mean, it took a lot of hard work from a lot of smart people in the industry. And, you know, uh, you know, like every other technology, you know, it's it's not a thing until it is, you know, and it's overnight. And it seems like it's overnight, but it's years and years of would it, hard would work. Would it be a common ground to say we had to not listen to the naysayers, stay on the focus that we're going to make it here, it's going to happen? Because if we didn't, we'd all just give up. So, um, you know, and... And I'm the senior guy in the in the room here, so I've seen it go and go. But I think that 
would not the commonality be that everyone in this group has said, uh-uh, we're going to keep the focus. We have to let people know we can keep the focus. Everyone in this room has done that. And others have. I'm not promoting just what we do. I just think this group has all worked together and seen the dramatic changes that I think people should listen about and, and engage. Because I think that what you'll, what you'll find is um, because we have stayed fast on the track and aren't the ones jump, jumping off the back of the truck as we bump along the road, it's getting there. And I think if you stick with uh, a focus group that understands that, wouldn't it be fair to say we're going to get to where we want to be? Absolutely. I mean, I, I would I would say I give the credit to the teams in the room. Right? Uh, I mean, we're just the leaders. It's the teams behind us. And we, uh, we really did innovate. That's the key. So if you think of every limiting, there's always variables that could have been a showstop. We could have said, ah, that's it. Look at our business alone. If you bring up LPR, they'll say, yeah, try it 10, 15, 20 years ago. It doesn't work. So we took a particular widget and designed a lot of innovation around that to now actually make it work. And hence why I say we're not an LPR company. We're not a, we're not a transportation company. We're, 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 we're a solutions provider that really adapts with the, with the uh, unbelievable incoming innovation. As Ted said, it's always out there. It's, it's all the other oh, variables of, is it pushed? Is it practical? Does it actually work? Is it cost effective? All these other variables that innovators. Okay, so I'm going to leave finally the last question for everybody. Who has pushed you the most? It's in you to do this. It's so funny Who's to ask this. No, but you know why the, the part that got me in this is like so many people, like some of my staff look at me and they go, you don't care about money. I can see that. If you don't care about money, then why are you doing this? And I was asked the same question by about a bunch of different people. And my only response is, because this is what I'm supposed to do. What's pushed you the most, Carter? You know, I think... It's just like, I think I agree completely with Ted. It's just like, it's just this intrinsic motivation of, of creating some impact that you feel like you're contributing to the world you know, in a positive way. You know, that, that's pretty much it. You can, you can tell, drive a now, lot of different now, things. We have two corporate guys and three startup guys. Pretty well, I've been independent my whole life. Um, you guys are much younger than me, but we have two corporate guys. So Brian... We're going to leave it. I want to hear Brian to say something because you've gone from corporate to entrepreneur. What's the big surprise you did? Because I was going to say uh, a very different response than than these entrepreneurial uh, is uh, because, and I'm sorry, it's going to sound very cliche, but because we can. But what pushed me the most? Because 20 years of my career were for phenomenal companies and a lot of it is the biggest technology companies in the world. It is not can we do it? Let's achieve it. It's really protect what we have. Word it that way. And, and that's not fair across the board because there's honestly, there's some great innovation happening with all of them. Um, but that's the, that's the, so what, what motivates me the most, what's pushed me the most, the fact that I can, I can see that we can make a difference. You can actually bring something that is not just doing it because we want to, because we started it to make some money to Ted's point, but it really is because it is a game changer and it's transformational for Okay, and I agree with that, and I'm going to leave it with this. So, guys, um, I'm going to argue a bit. I have to make it. 
because if I don't, I won't be here right now. So I, I want to make money, but I want to make a difference. So from my standpoint, it, the ideas have to be really good, but there has to be ability for us to remunerate ourselves so we can move on to the next level. So I'm motivated by two things. One is obviously ideas. We all know that. We all are here. But I got to make money. So I think that people have to understand that as well, that although we are motivated by our visions, we all don't make it without remuneration and the ability to earn so we can grow to that next level. And that's how I'd leave with it, um, um, Alan, if, if that was the final say. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. If you missed the first part of this roundtable, I really recommend that you go back and listen to episode 35. Some fantastic insights there, too. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Note that URL, it's .blog. And check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.